Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. And today, I got a bonus episode for you. As you will have already seen by the title of the episode, today we are going to be talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers once and always. For those who are unaware or have been taken by surprise and have somehow managed to miss this, which would be surprising given that it's been trending on social media pretty much the whole day since it came out. This is the 30th anniversary of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers this year, and this is a special that has been put together by current owners of the franchise Hasbro and Netflix to celebrate and commemorate it. The show stars a number of former Power Rangers alumni that ran in that original season, coming together to face a familiar threat from the past. And obviously they're going to save the day again. However, due to some shenanigans and issues and just a bunch of stuff going on behind the scenes, the cast for this lineup is actually unique in that it actually features a bunch of rangers that never worked together in their respective original show. So, who is actually in this and why do you care? Well, the special stars two original OG5 actors, Walter Jones, who played the Black Ranger, Zack Taylor, and David Yost, who played the original Blue Ranger, Billy Cranston. Joining them on the journey, we have Catherine Sutherland reprising her role as the second Mighty Morphin Pink Ranger, Catherine Hillard. We also have Steve Cardenas, who was the second Red Ranger, reprising his role of Rocky DeSantos. We also get appearances by Johnny Youngbosch, who played Adam Park, and Karen Ashley, who played Aisha Campbell, who were the second Black and Yellow Rangers, respectively. That's about it, if you're wondering. You know, that's that's quite a lot of people, and many folks were wondering exactly how that was going to work, because we had more actors playing Rangers than we did actual Rangers for them to play. We also have Richard Horvitz reprising his role as the voice of Alpha, the Ranger's faithful assistant, and Barbara Goodson reprising her role as Rita Repulsa to once again be the antagonist to this team. This special was written by Becca Barnes and Alwyn Dale, and it was directed by Charlie Haskell, who all did a fine job in my opinion. Now, I don't really know how to do this because I am recording this on the day that the special came out and I have watched it twice. The first time I watched it to just watch it and the second time I watched it with the intention of making notes and being a tad more critical or looking for details that I might have missed. Now I don't know exactly what the audience for this is going to be. Not even two weeks ago we did the Power Rangers Unworthy series where I had Don, uh, Aaron and Tom to discuss that with me. For obvious reasons, well, maybe not so obvious reasons if this is your first time here, but I wanted to do this review solo. 
There probably were people I could have got on, but I'm also on kind of a time limit to how much I can get done because I'm not going to be here to record anything after this week for a couple weeks. So that was one half of the reason why this is a solo episode. The other half is that for those of you that don't know, because I didn't really go into it in the Unworthy episode, but I think when I had uh, Andrew and Patrick on to talk about the 2017 reboot movie, I may have gone into it a bit more then, but if not, for those of you that don't know, I am somebody that grew up with this show. I was born in 1991, and the show started airing in 1993, at least in America. But in the UK, it started airing in 1994, so I would have been watching this when I was three. And I was watching this when I was three. I don't remember it, but I know I was because uh, I was into Power Rangers from the word go, and... I have, like, fragmented memories of watching this show when I was very, very young. And uh, I know, you know, my dad and my mom and my grandparents have all confirmed that from the minute I saw it, I fell in love with it. And it never really went away, in inverted commas. My own history with the show kind of continued past the point where I probably would have grown out of it, even though, for some people, you know, they grew out of it much quicker than I did. I just never really was that fussed about the fact that I still watched it because it featured weekly martial arts action, which in the 90s was not hard to find and was still pretty much popular all the way up until the end of that decade. But when the 2000s came along and it kind of changed, at least in the world of television, and I feel like that's because there was this big shift to casting people that didn't necessarily have the skills and working with them to give them the skills using CGI and doubling them. Not to say that none of that was happening beforehand, but as the technology was improving, you know, the type of people that were being cast was changing in everything, you know, in television and film. This is something that we've talked about on the show before, this is something that our friends on other shows have talked about. The age of the action movie star was kind of hitting its, uh, final moments in the 90s and by the time the 2000s came along they were being replaced and a lot of the big heavy hitters of the 80s and the early 90s were very much starting to either move on to something else or they were in direct dvd territory power rangers though did a strange thing which is that they decided to follow the example of their japanese counterpart super sentai and simply change the cast every year from Power Rangers in space onwards, basically, which I'm not going to try and work out what year that was, but that was in the 90s as well, probably mid to late 90s. As a result, even if people may not realize that they have actually stayed on the air pretty much consistently all this time, they have. And whilst they're not the same cultural icon that they were when they blew the roof off of the building when they came in in 93, they have managed to limp on in some aspects. Sometimes they've been good and sometimes they've been bad and because I'm the oldest of four siblings and I had cousins that were into it, I never really stopped watching it for one reason or another so I kind of know most of the lore pretty well. And then it got to the stage where I became an adult and I was like, you know what, I'm not really actively watching it anymore but all the old stuff that I remember, yeah, it's a part of me growing up so I kind of like it. And as a result, when I record these episodes and I have these guests on, whenever people uh, see me on the webcam, they are greeted by a lot of the collectibles that are signed that are behind me whilst I'm recording. 
One of which is the Shout Factory 20th anniversary set of DVDs that come in a giant Red Ranger helmet. And there's a bunch of other stuff behind me that I'm not gonna rattle off, but my point is, I have continued to pretty much be okay with the fact that I've liked Power Rangers since I was a kid, and this is my childhood show that I don't let go of. So when this was announced, I was very excited. As a result of which, reviewing this is going to be kind of difficult to impossible for me to be entirely impartial, but as you know from previous discussions, I don't really care about being entirely impartial, because I don't actually think that it's possible. I can review it objectively, and I'm definitely going to tell you that some stuff is not perfect, but I'm also going to tell you that my overall thoughts and enjoyability is high. I really liked this. And I know that there's a certain subset of fans out there that are disappointed from a story point of view because the show didn't address a lot of things that people basically had decided that it must or it has failed. And the thing is, I didn't go in expecting them to. And I feel like that's the reason why I just enjoyed it because I was very much down for just seeing what they did because this is unprecedented for the show. I've also seen that there are a lot of big websites and proper film critics that have decided to review this, and as I kind of expected the second I saw that, they are unsurprisingly not particularly a fan of this, and the reasons are basically, it's a low-budget kids show that is trying to give its 30-year-old now audience something a bit more mature, but not with a budget of, say, being a massive reboot that you would release in the cinema. I saw one review in particular from an outlet that I will not name that basically was complaining about the fact that it is literally Power Rangers. I mean, they didn't say that, but their entire complaint was the dialogue was slightly cringy to cheesy, the effects were ropey and poor, and I couldn't understand why they thought that these costumes were, you know, cutting edge. And I'm just like, I don't think you were the right person to review this, mate. But, you know, I guess you're just one of those clicks. So, basically, I am going to go through this like I would a normal episode. And it's just me, so it is started. Like, this is still, this isn't the intro. This is just me rambling until we start getting somewhere. I will say, though, that if you want to not be spoiled, as usual... This is not the place for you. I will be going into it, and I will be talking about things that happen in the episode. If you want to know what my unspoiled thoughts are, I shall give them to you now, and then if you want to watch it, you can. So, what do I think about the show without getting into anything specific? I feel like this show, as a long-time fan, with a working memory of things that actually happened cast changes and locations and little bits of lore, this was great. This delivered on so many fronts and it felt like a great way to show us where so many rangers that we don't really know where they are in their life, well, where they are in their life. You know, it's it's given us an epilogue for basically every character of what they've been up to, what they're going to be up to, hints about Things that they've done, things that they're still going to do, and they manage to do it in such a way that it doesn't feel weird. Like, it, it, it all fits in my mind. Everything kind of flows with the characters that they were all those years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that every character is created equally, 
I feel like there was room for certain characters to get a tad more work done. And there is definitely a heavy emphasis on Billy and Zack getting most of the development and the backstory and the time for them to actually do stuff. And if you're excited for the other actors that are returning, I would temper your expectations, which mine were anyway, because the marketing material has very much put Billy and Zack at the forefront with, well, Pink Ranger and the Red Ranger costumes being much smaller behind them. So they haven't exactly tried to hide the fact of who they want you to look at for this special. There is, of course, another character stroke actress that I have not mentioned, and that is Charlie Kirsch playing Min Tran. Now, this seemed to confuse a lot of people when this was first announced. I think everybody's kind of understood it now, but just in case there's anybody listening to this who has no idea what I'm talking about, allow me to explain. The original Yellow Ranger was played by Tui Trang, and her character was Trini Quan. Unfortunately, Tui passed away in 2001 due to a car accident, and the show has never addressed that. The show has never needed to address that, because her time as a ranger had been over for years by that point. At the time, they did give an episode of Power Rangers Time Force, which was airing at the time, they gave a episode in memoriam moment at the end, and, you know, rest in peace. That was it. And to be fair, that's really all they needed to do. However, due to the fact that they were making a 30th anniversary special, they had to make a decision of what to do about a character whose actress was not available for obvious reasons. Now, a lot of people were mixed about what it looked like they were doing and how they were going to go about it. To my surprise, a lot of people seem to be much more with it now that they've actually seen the special. And it's not a spoiler to say this because it was in the trailer, but again, if you want to know nothing, then, you know, that's up to you. But it, this was in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. But this special kills off Trini Kwan. The character is now officially gone, and the entire special is built around what that means for the team that she was a part of, and Min Kwan has to deal with the fact that she's lost her mother, and she didn't know that she was a Power Ranger, like, this is something that happens right at the beginning, and so there's a fallout from that that has to be dealt with, which they do, they, they kind of do, and they kind of don't deal with that, but that is, like, the main point of the special, in my opinion. You know, a big part of this is to deliver a tribute to Twee's legacy as Trini. And again, not going into spoilers yet, they do a great job, in my opinion. I know that there are some people that aren't going to like exactly how little individual bits were done, and there are some people like me that aren't bothered by it and, and can understand why they did what they did. But I feel like this has a very clear story that it wants to tell. It has a focus, and it never really deviates from that focus. There are plenty of Easter eggs, there are plenty of references that long-term fans are going to get, and I feel like there are some throwbacks that maybe the more casual fans will also get. But I also have seen quite a number of reviews from people that, to be honest, 
Their complaints make no sense. I, I literally saw a review from a big YouTuber and he basically complained that there weren't enough references and throwbacks, but he couldn't actually remember the names of any of the characters of the special he just watched. And I'm just sort of sat there like, how would you know if there was any references? You can't even name the names of the characters of the thing you're reviewing. And you're sat there going, well, there weren't enough references for me. It's like, there are. You just don't know them. And that's not its fault. And I've seen a lot of interesting, we'll say, reviews where I've kind of given up because they say something. And his, his was an extreme example, but I'll give you another one. Someone made a complaint that an aspect of the story that a lot of people were questioning, and again, I'm being vague deliberately, but a lot of people were questioning, for example, how is Rita back? Because if you're a diehard fan, her storyline was concluded in Power Rangers in Space, and a lot of people really, really hold on to the fact that in Power Rangers Mystic Force, there was a throwaway line of dialogue that basically said that a character in Mystic Force called the Mystic Mother used to be Rita Repulsa. And the reason why they did that is because the Japanese actress, Machiko Soga, she played Mystic Mother, and she was also the original Rita Repulsa, who was actually Bandora. And I'm going to really try to not get bogged down in all these details of constantly comparing America to Japan. But Machiko passed away in 2006, unfortunately. And so I assume that the show wanted to give a nice little reference i guess in mystic force where because it was uh, machiko playing mystic mother and i don't believe there was supposed to be any connection between her two characters in the sentai footage but i feel like the power rangers at the time the producers the writers etc they wanted to just give a little nod because it's the same actress and unfortunately I feel like that line has been internalized and turned into die-hard lore that no one will ever take away from us. And I really, like, I get it, but I'm also sort of like, it's a throwaway line. There's plenty of episodes out there that we've all just decided ourselves aren't canon, even though no one has ever officially said that, so the same thing can be said to episodes that we've just decided are die-hard canon and can never be changed. It's Really interesting what the fandom decides is and isn't canon when they want it to. Because of that, uh, many people were trying to figure out how Rita could have returned, because like I said, in space, she was essentially destroyed, stroke purified, and she became good. They do explain how she is back. And I have seen three reviews complain that they don't explain how she is back. And I'm like, did you try opening your eyes and listening? to the special that you just watched before you reviewed it. Because, honestly, it's like, we can only lead you to water, man. You're the one that's got a drink. So, my honest advice is watch it, because I think you'll enjoy it, and the action is decent. I'm not going to say it's great, which is where I think I'm actually going to differ from a lot of reviews, but again, we'll get to that. But I think it's it's more than fine. You know, you'll have a good time with it if you enjoyed it. If you were a more casual fan, I don't know. Maybe you'll just enjoy seeing the fact that people are back and you'll enjoy the more dramatic moments because there are some. I don't know. 
But if you're a diehard fan, this is an easy win in my book. You've just got to ignore. You've just got to ignore the nitpicking because you can definitely nitpick this thing to death. But it's it's freaking Power Rangers, man. You can always nitpick it to death. The most popular episode of all time, uh, anniversary speaking, is Forever Red, and that whole episode is basically considered non-canon now. And even when it was, it basically just broke all of the established law, which is kind of the point I'm trying to make. It's you know, it's like Power Rangers has never been great at keeping within its established law, at least as a television show. The comic books, which I know some people are going to say, well, they do. But that's a completely separate continuity, so let's not confuse people even more. So, that was my non-spoiler thoughts. We're gonna actually go into spoiler territory now, and I'm just realizing that this is probably gonna be a lot longer than I planned, given that that was my non-spoiler thoughts. So, buckle up guys, here we go. First of all, I love the opening. It starts off with a great little text scroll that reminds people what the show was about. And you get this great opening, well, a cold open, I would call it, where Billy is already under attack. It immediately makes you go, what the hell is going on? He shouts his morphing time, and then the other rangers show up. We get Go-Go Power Rangers playing, and I immediately was taken aback because one thing I wasn't expecting that they do several times in the special, there are a lot of actors that are not in this special. Uh, namely, original Pink Ranger Amy Jo Johnson's Kimberly, original Red Ranger Austin St. John's Jason, and obviously original Yellow Ranger Trini Kwan, who cannot be played by Twee because she is, as I already said, no longer with us. So it was a big surprise when they all show up, already morphed, but they have voices. Now, I, I already knew that they were going to be in it, we wouldn't see them unmorphed, but I didn't actually expect to hear them talk or to make any kind of Kia sounds, but they do. And I gotta be honest, I'm kind of surprised and impressed because people think that that is really easy to do. It's not. In the case of, especially in the case of Twee, who has no new footage to work with other than the original season one and very early season two episodes to pull her audio from and to clean it up, and make it sound like it belongs in an episode filmed 30 years later and match everybody else's quality. That is a hell of a lot harder than you might think it is. It's the same reason that you don't see any flashback footage to the original show, with one exception, but it does the same thing that they always do when they have to flashback to stuff that was filmed in standard definition in 4x3 aspect ratio, it's never a full flashback that fills the screen. You're seeing it on something else, whether it be a television screen or inside someone's mind with a few other things happening for stylistic reasons, which we'll get to. But my point is, that's impressive. And I got to give them props for actually doing that because that probably was way more work than realistically it needed to be because she's not in it for very long and neither are the other rangers. But it's a nice touch to hear Jason David Frank's voice coming out of Tommy, which is another thing that we kind of need to address before we move on, because, again, Jason David Frank is not in this, but the character of Tommy Oliver, the Green Ranger, is. And something that, I, again, I see so many people get confused by, this was filmed before he died. There are so many people that are going into this expecting there to be 
explanations and tributes to JDF, like they already know there is going to be for Twee, but JDF hadn't passed away at the time of filming this. And unfortunately, you can't hold that against the special. Now, they do do something at the end, which again we'll get to. It's not ignored. They do address the fact that, unfortunately, there's now two rangers that have passed away from the original series. But as far as this opening sequence goes, I was very surprised to hear Amy Jo Johnson's high R's coming out of Kimberly. Jason David Frank gets a lot of his rather unique key R sounds coming out of him. And we get some dialogue from him which I'm actually 99% confident came from the episode Dimensions in Danger, which is the previous anniversary episode that was for 25 years that Jason David Frank did return to star in. And he has so much audio to pull from, even if it's not from Dimensions in Danger. You know, there there's so many episodes and even random things on YouTube that they can pull from that would make sense, you know, that's Power Rangers related. There's the dialogue for Battle from the Grid, which was a video game where he voiced Tommy Oliver and Lord Draken from the Boom Studios comic books. So the fact that they were able to do that is great in terms of with what ended up happening. It's great that we actually get to hear from that character. And, you know, they're still essentially alive, which is, you know, more than I was expecting. Let's put it that way. Now, there is one exception to everything that I just said, and I've gone back and forth on whether or not I want to address it, but for some reason, with one possible exception, Austin St. John is definitely not getting that same level of treatment that the other two or three, sorry, do. His character, for some reason, has been dubbed by some random actor that sounds nothing like Austin. I have no idea why, but... It was a choice, I guess. So, as you might have guessed, we get to see a big fight sequence, and the fight sequence itself is okay, but here's where my problem starts. The footage that they showed us in the very, very first sort of teaser trailer, which was basically an interview with the cast, an interview with the people making it behind the scenes, actually featured a lot of this particular scene being filmed. And here's where my first problem starts. A lot of the stuff that we saw in that behind the scenes bit ain't in this scene. <laughs> and unfortunately, knowing that there's more footage out there that was just not used is kind of a downer because I feel like the stuff that we saw in the behind the scenes bit is better than what we actually got. Now that's not to say that the great use of drones and the mixing of the music and the original theme and the fact that we're seeing some much more vicious martial arts move from all six rangers isn't great, but there are definitely elements that were in the trailers that are missing from this final project, one of which is all six rangers standing side by side doing their iconic poses. That is actually missing. And it's definitely something they filmed because it's in the trailer. I'm pretty confident that a lot more was filmed than has been actually used in general because the writers of this special have openly stated that they originally wrote a feature film and they didn't have the money to make a feature film. You know, they, they pitched a feature film with producer Simon Bennett, if I remember this correctly. 
And after a lot of back and forth, it was basically agreed that they could do a special, but there's no way it was going to be feature length. So they had to take their original script and squish it into basically a 55 minute episode. These scenes kind of feel like where a lot of the squishing happened, you know. There's very little time to stop and enjoy the action because as fast as the action starts, it feels like it's over. And that is one of my biggest complaints. Of all the aspects of the show, I get that it's going to be the action that suffers, but it's also kind of what Power Rangers is known for. Power Rangers, martial arts, and the big Zord fights, and beating up monsters and putties, and all the other various foot soldiers that came after, that's a big part of the show, and every time the action starts, with a couple of exceptions, it does feel very rushed. And there are certainly moments in the show where they don't rush it, and they do allow things to breathe, but this opening sequence is like, boom, 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 right, it's done. Right down to the killing of Trini. And I saw a couple of people complain that that happens way too quick, and the thing is, I kind of agree with them, but I also didn't necessarily feel like it mattered. You know, my attitude towards this is that it, that was done deliberately, that they wanted Trini to be killed quickly because they wanted that oh hell moment that we all had when we saw the trailer. Obviously, it's kind of dulled by the fact that we knew it was coming, but seeing it was still quite different to knowing it was going to happen. And again, I've seen people complain about the fact that we don't really see the fallout of that from the entire team, and I do understand that complaint, but they only had two of the five actors that were needed in order to have that sort of a scene, so the decision was basically made that Billy and Zach are going to have to go off and see Tatrini's daughter, whilst the other three are quote-unquote hunting Rita in the Dark Dimension. Uh, and the Dark Dimension, of course, is a one of your first references back to the show. There's there's so many of them, I'm not going to name them all, but there are a couple that made me chuckle. In fact, almost everything Rita says is a reference back to the original show. Uh, Rita is easily one of the best aspects of this show. Barbara Goodson is absolutely reveling in playing Rita again. She is so much more unhinged and evil than she ever was in the original show. She is threatening to kill people left, right, and center. She does kill Trini. She inflicts so much damage on Billy. She does so much damage to the whole team in general as the special goes on. And she is just hell-bent on revenge, and she has a plan on how to get it, and she knows exactly what she wants, and she's going for it. Full tilt. And honestly, she's almost... You know, aside from the fact she is essentially a robot version of the villain, and it is her. This is this is something that I'm kind of jumping ahead here, but that is Rita Repulsa. She's the spirit of all the evil that was the sorceress Rita, and she's now inside of a robot body and has warped it with the dark magic that she possessed into what you see on screen. So that is Rita. It's not a robot version of her that thinks it's her, which was one of the main complaints a lot of people had going into this, is that she's not really Rita. So as I say, the Rangers have to deal with the fact that Trini has just been <laughs> obliterated in front of their eyes, essentially, and Zack and Billy, you know, both fall apart, Kimberly just collapses, and Jason is 
trying to comfort them as the camera pans away, and then it cuts to being at the Quan residence where Billy and Zack actually have a massive argument about how to deal with this. And this is something that I really liked. Not just because of this scene, but this is actually a running theme through the episode, is Billy and Zack are very much the leaders of this team. Neither one of them, I'd say, pulls away as the leader, but they don't necessarily always agree on how situations should be handled. But the thing that I like, which is very new to Power Rangers, I wouldn't say either one of them is wrong. They're both right, and they both have great reasons for the thinking the way that they do, and they just have a different point of view of what is necessary at that moment in time. And that's a very difficult thing to do in general, but to try and balance that into something that's like Power Rangers, and when you've got a ticking clock that you know you don't have all the time that you want to flesh this story idea out, I actually think they do very well. I'm very curious if the feature-length version of this would have gone into that more and given them a lot more conflict with each other, because there definitely seemed to be room or or ideas that maybe there was going to be much more of a disconnect between the two of them. Because essentially, Zack doesn't want to tell Min the truth and is trying to come up with an excuse of what to tell her, like there was an accident or X, Y, and Z. Whereas Billy makes the executive decision that Min deserves to know the truth, otherwise she'll never get closure. That means they have to tell her they're Power Rangers. They have to tell her that her mother was the Yellow Ranger. They have to tell her that their lives have been this massive, huge, well, adventure and also extreme danger, which unfortunately Trini has paid the ultimate price for being a hero. And unfortunately, because they're arguing, they don't actually realize that Min has come home and she walks in just in time to hear Billy yell at Zack that Rita Repulsa killed her mother. And then it flashes to one year later. And this is where I feel like some people are disappointed because they don't want that that passage of time. They wanted the show to have to stay in the moment and show the repercussions. But the thing is, how are they going to do that when half the, the original team's actors aren't in the special? You know? And in all honesty, when you've only got a 55-minute runtime, you're going to have to do a time skip in order to get to the point where the main plot and the main story that they want to tell is going to happen. We also then start to see Min, as I said earlier, played by Charlie Kirsch, and she's quite clearly channeling the spirit of Trini in her martial arts. She is doing a lot of stuff that we saw Trini do on the original show. However, I will stress Charlie Kirsch is a fantastic martial artist. Spend five minutes on her Instagram. You'll be impressed. She has a lot of accolades to her name. She, you know, she put up a video the other day where she's training at 8711 Studios. She's training with Mike Chad from 8711 North and also from the XMA Academy. So, you know, she is uh, fantastic and everything in the training segments I think is great. I do think that the special does her a disservice in not showing how much ass she can kick and how skilled she is as an acrobatic, but We'll get to that because that's not just her I feel that way about. We also see a lot of photos in her house that uh, show us basically her life and her upbringing when she was a kid. She drew a picture for her mom. There are several photos of Twee Tran, which is a very nice touch. One is a photo of her when she was Trini. I also am pretty sure I could see a couple of others that 
aren't. I don't know if they're headshots. I don't know if they're personal photos that they were able to get access to or what. But it was nice to just see so much love for Twee. There is also, even though they kind of keep it blurred and don't focus on it, which kind of annoyed me. But there is also, if you're really paying attention, a photo of the original five rangers when they were doing the cleanup club. I don't remember if that was the name of the episode, but that was what they were doing. They were essentially going around and trying to give this message about cleaning up the town and recycling and, and spreading that good message. And I distinctly remember that it came from Trini. So that was a nice touch. And also it was actually just nice to have a photo of her with her friends. And it would have been nice if they could have actually focused on it for a minute and had a sort of bit of dialogue given what does follow next because it is one year later which means it is the anniversary of Trini's death and this is when we also discover that Zack has essentially become her legal guardian and now lives in the same address and that's when you find out that he was actually a congressman which actually makes a lot of sense because in the preceding scene he was wearing a suit and looks very very different in terms of the way he's dressed to Billy and it makes more sense when you find that out and he's essentially given up that life to look after Min. Now there is something that made me chuckle about realizing that Zack had become a congressman because the last time we see Zack is also the last time we saw Trini which is when Zack, Trini and Jason went off to the peace conference because they were selected to be ambassadors for whatever this random program was, uh, which was basically a cover for why they, the characters had to leave because the actors had all walked out of the show, which I won't go into here. This is quite clearly going to be long enough as it is. But I love the idea that that could have led Zach into basically a career of politics. And given his history as a ranger and as a very chill guy, I could totally see his natural charisma working in that field and you know unlike 90% of actual politicians he would genuinely be actually trying to make the world a better place so they head off to attend a ceremony at Trini's grave and as they approach you hear in the distance the sound of rangers morphing this again uses audio that is recycled and after listening to it through headphones, I'm 99% confident that it is legitimate audio for all of them, including Austin St. John, which makes it really weird that they don't give him audio for everything else. Uh, it, it really does sound like him saying Tyrannosaurus, it's JDF saying Dragonzord, it's Amy Jo Johnson saying Pterodactyl, and obviously it is David Yost saying Triceratops. Zack and Min then quickly catch up and discover that they are walking into an ambush from Rita, who has rebuilt two of her former monsters, the Mighty Minotaur and Snizzard. Fun fact, Snizzard was originally voiced by Brian Cranston. Yes, that Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad, who was also the voice of Zordon, as well as the face of Zordon, in the 2017 reboot movie. Sadly, he does not reprise the role here, as hilarious as that would have been, because he can definitely still do it. There's an interview of him on YouTube, which you can go and find, where he literally does the voice after they play the clip to try and embarrass him, and he is definitely not embarrassed, and he can still do the voice, and he does it for them, and he's like, yeah, it's a job, deal with it, which is, I love. So, 
Zack then joins the fight after telling Min to basically not and stay out of it and stay in cover. He morphs and all five rangers basically start trying to take them down. This again is when it really sticks out for some reason that the Red Ranger is not trying in remotely to sound like Jason. I don't know why that decision was made, but this is when we get the next story reveal. Snizzard has the ability to essentially paralyze and capture rangers. This is not something he could do originally. Both monsters have been upgraded. How? That I don't know. That is not explained. Rita just says that she rebuilt them, but again, I'm not entirely sure quite how. But regardless, that's what happened. So Jason is essentially captured. He's then shrunk down to tiny size, about the size of an action figure, I'd say. Uh, because it is an action figure. And he is then put into a machine and he is out of the fight. Tommy then immediately jumps in and tries to save Jason. And he says some dialogue to Rita. And Rita basically holds him and then Snizzard paralyzes him. Kimberly goes to Tommy's aid. She gets hit by the same venom and the two of them are wrapped up and thrown into Rita's machine. And then Zack and Billy realize that they're now horrifically outnumbered. They're definitely outgunned. And staying in this fight is just going to end up with them in the same situation. And no one's going to know what happened, where they are, etc. So they make the tactical decision to retreat, which I do not blame them for. The three of them jump in Billy's rad bug and they drive off, they get chased, and then they do the thing that the diehard fans knew was coming, which is that the rad bug can fly. The rad bug too looks a heck of a lot more stylish than the original rad bug did back in 93. Thankfully, it, you know, it's now got a much better uh, fashion sense, let's put it that way. Also, just quickly, because this is something that I didn't actually realise when I watched it the first time, but I, I I noticed it the second time and found out why. There is a, a close-up done on a grave, and that character that the camera closes up on, Harvey something, I think, it uh, it's a character that actually was on Power Rangers in the second season, I think. He was essentially a talk show host, and he interviewed the Power Rangers. Maybe it was season three. It doesn't matter. Anyway, he interviewed the Power Rangers, but I also saw somebody else say that he was also the voice of the character Ninjor, uh, which I didn't know, and I, I will be honest, I haven't double-checked, but that's what I've seen a couple other people say. So, given that, you know, we made a big point of saying props to the people that did Ninjor's voice in Unworthy, I did just kind of want to mention that because that person also passed away in real life, so that was kind of a nice touch in inverted commas of just making people aware of that actor and the fact that he'd played both Ninja and this uh, talk show host on the show it just sort of made me smile we also get a close-up of the grave marker for Trini Kwan and you know you get to see all the flowers how nice it looks and then it cuts to the next sequence where Zack and Billy are very much panicking about what to do again they do kind of agree on how to handle this, but they also are kind of like, hmm, hmm. And, you know, this has been right after, you know, Zack has said that Billy hates it when he's late. And when Zack does join the fight, Billy's like, what? No, sorry that I'm late. And again, at that point, I was thinking that we were building up to the idea that these two maybe are not seeing eye to eye and haven't for a while. And if that 
was the case, they kind of get over it very, very quickly. With one minor exception I'm about to say, which is that Min really, 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 really wants to join the fight. She is very much lusting for revenge, and she wants Rita gone, which is completely understandable. Zack and Billy both agree that that is a terrible, terrible idea, and uh, that's, you know, never going to happen. Billy is not quite as emotionally tactful as Zack tries to be with it. However, Zack also doesn't really, in my opinion, do it right either, because he's very much like, this is ranger business, not the business of somebody that has homework to do and needs to be in bed by nine, or, or something to that effect. And the audience and Min are sort of going, what? That's literally what you guys did. That's literally what my mother did, and you're telling me that that's wrong? But what? It's weird how Zack very much tries to tell her not to do this, despite the fact that that's literally what he did. <laughs> but all of this was kind of fuel for Min to come out and say what not the audience was thinking, but it's the first hint that there's more to this than we know. Min blames Billy for Trini's death. Now, Trini sacrificed herself to save Billy, but that's not what Min was referencing. And she says that she knows that this is actually all Billy's fault because of what he was doing. And you're like, hmm, okay. Now, the other interesting thing is, is that when she says that, Zack is just kind of standing there, looking sideways away from them, because he doesn't exactly rush to disagree with her. And again, I thought this was kind of because they had their own issues, and that was an interesting moment because it is a very teenager thing to do, like, find the one thing you know is going to hurt someone, the nuclear option, and just, like, use it as your first opening punch. That's such a teenager thing to do, and again, it makes the character feel more real, and I, and I get it, you know? She wants to hurt someone... She couldn't hurt Rita, so the next best person is the guy that she's going to now blame for Trini's death. And maybe she has for a while, but she's going to openly say it because she's pissed off. We then go to the new command center, which actually turns out to be Cranston Industries, which is a company or a corporation owned by Billy. And somehow, underneath the company, they've actually managed to build essentially a new command center. Complete with an Alpha unit. This is not Alpha 5 that you will remember, nor his replacement Alpha 6, nor the questionable canonity of Alpha 7 from Forever Red. This is Alpha 9. What happened to Alpha 8, I hear you ask? Well, funnily enough, I'm going to tell you. Because, basically, Billy and Zack have a conversation, and now Zack decides that, for whatever reason, he is now going to tell Billy that Min was wrong. And that, yes, there is some sort of truth to it, maybe, but his intentions were good and he couldn't have predicted what actually happened. So we get a flashback and it's Billy and Alpha 8 working to bring back Zordon, which is an element of the story and the show that we'd all been theorizing about. Would they keep Zordon's sacrifice intact or would they find a way to bring back their legendary mentor. And I was very torn on which one I wanted to happen because honestly, there are pros for both. Yes, if they did bring him back, it would kind of invalidate one of the few true deaths that have happened, but 
again, as we'll get to the end, they may have kind of done that anyway, but they use that as a springboard for what happens, because again, we're paying homage to Trini, but Zordon actually gets a lot of love and respect throughout this show, which makes sense considering he was everybody's mentor. So it makes sense that Billy, who is very, very smart and has a lot of intelligence and has done a lot of really cool things over the years, figured out, or at least thinks he's figured out, a way to bring him back. And the second his device detects what he thinks must be the remnants of Zordom, he has Alpha initiate a reconstitution sequence, and it wasn't Zordon, it was Rita. Rita comes back, cracks the tube, and then escapes, and essentially infects Alpha. And she transforms the Alpha 8 robot body into her body. So that's how Robot Rita essentially comes into existence. The spirit of Rita Repulsa takes over the Alpha body and twists it into what she wants it to be. She then summons her staff back and attacks Billy. Billy then calls out for help and then basically he runs away out the command center and we're supposed to work out that what happens next is where we started at the beginning of the special. So again, we just kind of saw some things out of order. I personally thought that this was fine. I know some people, for whatever reason, really don't like this. Um, I think, again, it's just a... It's because the thing is so short, you feel almost like, what's the point? If it was longer, I feel like it would work better, because you could have had longer of not knowing that Billy is kind of not really responsible, but he is kind of the reason that this is happening, in inverted commas. I also really like Rita, just in general, going into such deep explanations as to what exactly had happened, which is that Billy is literally the only reason that she could return. She couldn't have done it on her own. Her energy was purified from the body that is still the good version of Rita that went off and either just lived a happy life with the good version of Zed or became the Mystic Mother, whatever version of events you're happier with. This isn't her. That, that person is still out there. This is literally all of the evil energy that Zordon purified from her, and it's been reconstituted enough to the point that it can have its own will again, and that is Repulsa. And they do a lot of talking about the Z-Wave, Zordon Sacrifice, which all happened in a show that had nothing to do with Mighty Morphin and none of the actors present, which I personally like as a long-term fan, because it makes the world feel that much more connected that they're actually addressing events of things that didn't happen in Mighty Morphin. We then flash back to the present and a bunch of different things happens. We we see a shot of Bandora's palace on the moon, but it's uh, it's Rita's palace for those confused by that. Bandora was the name of Rita Repulsa in the Japanese show, and her palace always said Bandora on the front. It's obviously not the same model that was used on the original show, because again, that was all shot in Japan. Uh, I don't believe there was any exterior footage ever done in America. And even if they had, there's no way that that model survived. Most of the models and props from back then are in a state, if they've even still got them or have access to them. So the new one, to me, I cannot make up my mind for the life of me if I'm looking at a CGI model or a practical model. I think it's a blend of both with some really weird lighting and not great perspective on the camera work. Something about it doesn't work for me and this is going to come back at the end. 
because uh, there's there's another thing that arrives at the very end that I have some issues with, but also I don't. It, it we'll get there. This basically leads to a sequence where Billy and Zack activate Bandora Protocol, which again is a nice reference. You're calling it the Bandora Protocol. And essentially, Alpha sends out a worldwide message to every Power Ranger that Rita Repulsa has returned and that she's attacked the Rangers. So every team, not just Mighty Morphin, but every team has to be on their toes. This also means that everybody basically has an assigned place to go and be to try and either protect themselves or to protect other people, which leads to Catherine and Rocky finally showing up and being teleported in from their lives. Kat was at a karate tournament with her son JJ, which is also kind of canonizing the fact that Catherine and Tommy Oliver are a married couple and have a son named JJ Oliver. And in the comic book Soul of the Dragon, which I'm 99% confident does not take place in the continuity of the comic books, it actually is supposed to take place in the continuity of the television show, means that he will one day grow up to become a member of Space Patrol Delta, and eventually take the mantle as the Green Ranger from his father. Now, why am I saying all of this? Because two other characters are going to show up later on that I feel like were also a part of that continuity. With the arrival of Rocky and Catherine, we get a nice explanation as to how they can use the same powers that Rita has already captured by basically using proxy coins to access the morphing grid. I like this explanation, it works for me. So much stuff has clearly happened from the last time we saw these characters and had the focus on them to now that clearly a lot of things are possible that weren't before. Zack even makes a point of saying that Zordon actually said that duplicating powers was not possible. This was actually the reason that they needed to go on an adventure back in the day to get the Sword of Light so that they could transfer the powers of Jason, Zack, and Trini over to three new people who would become Rocky, Adam, and Aisha. But clearly, that's not an issue anymore, and to be fair, it wasn't an issue in Season 3, even though those powers work slightly differently, but I do like the fact that they're kind of addressing things, referencing things, explaining things very, very quickly, but they are doing it. They're not just ignoring it. Now, I know some people out there were really, really hoping that they would explain how they were Power Rangers at all, given that, technically speaking, the Power Coins were destroyed in the third season of Mighty Morphin, the Dino Megazord, which became the Thunder Megazord, was destroyed at the beginning of Season 3, and by the time Mighty Morphin ended, there shouldn't have been any way for the Mighty Morphin powers to return. That's one of the reasons that they turned to the Zeo Crystal and became the Zeo Power Rangers in that season, where the original Mighty Morphin costumes were basically put on display, you know, like almost like it was a museum, and Zordon literally said that those powers are gone forever. But, you know, we have new ones now, and these are better, faster, stronger, harder, better, as they always are. But, there have been so many occasions where the Mighty Morphin Rangers have ended up using their powers or returning throughout the 30 years history of the show, that I feel like we don't really need an explanation at this point. I think there are so many different options for how they're back properly, the obvious one being that Billy and Alpha have clearly been working on stabilizing the original connection to the morphing grid, the dinosaur power coins were never, I suppose, destroyed. It was the ninja coins that were destroyed. So it makes complete sense that they could just figure out a way to reconnect them to the grid. Adam 
used his Mastodon coin to morph in Power Rangers in space way back in the 90s. The Sentinel Knight was able to restore his powers completely so that they wouldn't glitch out during the events of the Operation Overdrive anniversary episode. And in Dimensions in Danger, Tommy Oliver had a completely brand new morpher known as the Master Morpher, and Rocky was back as the Red Ranger there, and no explanation was given for either of those things. It was just a case of, this is Power Rangers, this is how we roll, hashtag deal with it. So again, I think expecting this show to kind of retroactively address all of the previous times, you know, even Jason in Forever Red could just morph, but again, that one isn't always considered canon, so that's fine, but you know what I'm trying to say, right? If you're a diehard fan at this point, why are you asking these questions? This is also where we got a new morph sequence. The four rangers morph and decide it's time to go and help the civilians and stop the putties who are attacking basically everywhere. They're not just attacking Angel Grove or a few cities. They're doing like a worldwide attack, which this kind of again leads me into the beginning of another complaint, which again is a budget complaint. And there's not a lot they can do about that, so I don't hold it against them. But considering this is supposed to be a worldwide attack, and the other teams of rangers were involved, it would have been nice if we could have just had a couple of shots of other ranger teams doing stuff. Whether it's just, you know, fighting the putties or getting civilians out of peril, whatever it might be, it just would have been a little bit of nice world building and, a, a, you know, just a, just a little summit summit. When they actually do the morphing sequence, I do find it interesting that uh, three of them do it the way you remember, but Billy, for some reason, he like throws his morpher forward as part of the morphing call, and I have no idea why. I do wonder, because it is exactly the same way that Adam did it in his In Space episode, Always a Chance, if that was deliberate, but it's so weird that Billy's the only one that does it and the others don't. It really makes it stand out and almost seem amateurish, and I, I, I didn't like that. The new morphic sequence looks great. I mean, it, it, it's it's an adjustment because it doesn't look how it did in 1993, but it wasn't going to, I guess. I don't know. I, I almost feel like I prefer the original, but the new one isn't bad. It's just different. And it was nice that they tried. They could have easily just not had a morphing sequence or given them a completely different one like Disney did to Adam in Overdrive. So I don't know. I think it, for what it was, it was fine. I also really like the fight scene that follows. This is not one of the fight scenes that I think suffers from being rushed, and I also really, really enjoy a number of things that happen in this sequence. Rocky pulling out a gun and shooting a putty in the back, and as it falls, it just disintegrates into rubble. To get everyone's attention was such a nice moment. Like, you'd have never got that on the original show. Shooting an enemy in the back that doesn't know you're there? Oh, that's not a Power Ranger thing to do, but, you know... They've uh, they've got to save a lot of people in a very short amount of time, so they're going to use everything at their disposal, and I like that. The fight that follows is also really well put together. It's not the best fight scene I've ever seen, and I feel like they could have done some more flashy acrobatic stuff with wire work. But again, I feel like something that people need to really do bear in mind with this is they did not have the money that people think they did. This is not a huge Netflix production, this isn't even really the money that Power Rangers itself usually works with. I think people would be very surprised to learn that one of the more recent seasons of Power Rangers, and I cannot remember if this was for Beast Morphers or if this was for Dino Fury, but their budget 
was like $22 million. And I feel like most people think it's made for like a couple thousand. Unfortunately, making these things is stupidly expensive. And I feel like you guys who listen to this show know that. Like the regulars know how expensive making movies are. We all love direct-to-DVD movies here. We love straight-to-streaming stuff. We know the realities of budgets. And we know that there are reasons why our favorite actors do their own fight scenes. Why they work with the same people, the same teams. Because you need to get stuff done quickly. That's mostly done in way less time than it realistically should be. So you have to work with the best people. And that's for films that star people that are kind of the best at what they do. When you're talking about trying to apply that mentality to a TV show, that is a completely different ballgame because you're filming multiple episodes that have to be finished. You're not filming a, a feature film, even if it's a really short shooting schedule, you know, you've still got one finished product. You're not trying to make a dozen episodes or 20 episodes or heaven forbid, 63 episodes like the first season of My Morphin is. We also get a lovely reference here, sadly it is the only appearance, but we see Bulk and Skull on a big sign saying that they're in business together eating sandwiches. I'm pretty sure this is like the fourth uh, version of what they've done post the last time we've seen them, because it feels like those guys, every time we uh, like hear from them or see them in the show, they're doing something different. You know, the last time we saw them in In Space, no, in Lost Galaxy, sorry. You know, Bulk was on a different planet. He went into space with Professor Phenomenus, or whatever his name was. Um, Skull stayed on Earth. We don't know what happened to him. And then in Forever Red, which I'm going to keep having to say this, I know that the canon of that is a big question mark, but they were running like a hotel and spa place together, and they clearly knew who Tommy Oliver was, which was kind of a nice touch. And that was a cool sort of ending for them. And then in Power Rangers Samurai, Bulk returned for like a whole season, sort of. And then at the very end, they brought Skull in for basically a cameo and the two of them got to have a conversation about what their lives have been like. And Skull ran this very big successful company and Bulk, you know, kind of didn't. And he just lived in Angel Grove and was basically the same person you remember. But Samurai has also been basically said to not really follow the canon of the rest of the series, except for when it does because they show up in the other series, but apparently that version of Bulk and Skull is not the same one that we all remember. Probably the reality is, as I've said multiple times already, it's because the people who write these things don't care. <laughs> Most of the time when they're thinking, you know, they're not thinking about how it applies to the 30-year-old law. So at the moment, we have now seen that they are essentially running a sandwich shop or a food business together of some kind, which, in all honesty, at this point, you know, on the original show alone, they went from, like, leather-clad wearing bullies to junior police officers to fully-fledged detectives that at one point actually left to go to France and become real detectives, and then they came back and, for some reason, went backwards and joined the junior police agency again. It was... It was a mess, and then they became scientists, and then, as I say, it ended with Bulk going into space. So, how Bulk even got back to Earth, I do not know. At least with Billy, they kind of addressed that later on. Alpha then realizes that as long as the Rangers are morphed, the Minotaur monster can track them. So they power down and run away, basically. 
speaking of appearances that, in my opinion, were kind of disappointing, the Balkan Skull sign was a nice touch, but it would have been even better to see the actors Paul Schreier and Jason Narvey. This is where we get our appearance of Johnny Young Bosch and Karen Ashley as Adam and Aisha, and enjoy it while it lasts, because this is basically it. Uh, they call in from a vid screen and basically have the conversation that was in the trailer. It's uh, not very long, and it's nice because we see them wearing the SPA uniform that the entire internet went mad over trying to figure out what SPA stands for, and uh, we still don't know because this special doesn't actually tell us. Which I don't know if that was an oversight or if when that was explained was cut, but yeah. I'm very curious to see if we actually get an answer to that. Does it stand for Space Patrol Alpha? Does it stand for Academy? Who knows? But either way, it definitely does link back to Space Patrol Delta because they make a point of saying that they are having difficulties dealing with the Truvian Empire. And for those of you who may not know, the Truvian Empire were the antagonists of Power Rangers SPD, which was set in the future. It was eventually given a specific date of 2025, which now isn't that far away in the future, but it was when the show was made in 2005. Although I do think they were optimistic that within 20 years, there would be aliens living on Earth and there would be a unified police force that would essentially protect the entire galaxy with intergalactic law. I feel like 20 years was a bit of a push for that, but hey, I guess they just wanted a date for one particular episode and again, that ended up just being canon. This leads to, again, Catherine reminding everybody that she, you know, is with Tommy and she's not going to tell JJ what happened to her father because they're going to get him back. Adam and Aisha also named drop that they really are happy with the stealth technology that Billy developed for them and that they have teams that they are in charge of. So I'm wondering if they have like commander roles in the same way that there was a commander on the SPD show. In my opinion, that whole segment could have been expanded on massively, but it also has kind of left room for them to do what they want with those characters. I mean, a show where Adam, in particular, is going around space doing cool things would be amazing because Johnny Youngbosch is an incredibly underrated actor and martial artist, and I'm very, very sad that this is the first time he's returned to the show and doesn't get the best kick-ass fight scene in the special, because he doesn't get any fight scene, which made me sad. As the Rangers are trying to figure out what their next move is going to be, they unfortunately get interrupted because separate to the scenes that we've already said about, Min doesn't listen to what was said and she goes and gets her mother's morpho, which is essentially in like a ceremonial box underneath all of the family photos and runs headfirst into danger after she sees a report that the juice bar is under attack. Now, this one I will say, I don't really understand why they don't give us a bit of an explanation as to how the juice bar is back, because the juice bar was gone long before, like, Ernie himself was out of the show who ran the juice bar, and yeah, that that did feel a bit weird, because again, if they've addressed so much of what happened in Power Rangers in space, like Zordon sacrificing himself, but in space the juice bar was literally bought and turned into something else called the spot and the fact that they're just like oh yeah it's the juice bar again oh okay well who runs it no uh, no idea okay cool min tries to fight the putties and again we get a sequence where charlie gets to kind of show off what she can do but 
In my opinion, they don't really do Charlie much service here. I feel like they really could have done more given that there is precedent for a person without powers to stand up to the putties. Tommy did it when he first showed up. That was literally the test that gave him the Green Ranger powers. And given that Charlie is an incredibly talented martial artist, I really, really was expecting her to do better than what they give her. It's not a complaint of the actress, I just feel like they didn't really give her much to do. That said, part of the reason for that is so that Walter Jones and Steve Cardenas can come in and have a hand-to-hand fight sequence with the putties in the juice bar. And I will say that for as nice as it is to see the two of them fight the putties, I do feel sorry for Steve because it's Walter's fight scene, man. Walter is in incredible shape considering he's in his 50s, and I mean... He just completely steals this whole sequence from both Charlie and Steve. I mean, Steve Cardenas is an incredibly talented martial artist in his own right. He is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I believe he's won several tournaments in his own right. Um, I'm pretty confident he was like a state champion, and I think he was a silver national champion. I could be wrong with that, but I, I feel like I remember him posting those matches when they were happening a long time ago. But yeah, Steve Steve gets to do this flashy tornado kick when he shows up, but then after that, it's like they don't know what to do with him. He mostly just chucks putties over his shoulder and slams them on the ground, and then he gets a couple of, like, karate punches, which is nice, but Zack, uh, you know, Walter, is doing way more impressive stuff, and, you know, he gets to do a backflip off of a putty, which is very reminiscent of a movement that literally was done in the premiere episode Day of the Dumpster, where Jason, Austin St. John, basically throws him into the air and Zack does a front flip and lands, and he's basically doing that off of a putty, uh, almost like a Scott Adkins, you know, boika kick. It, it, it kind of made me chuckle. And then when he lands, he busts out the hip-hop keto and basically starts doing breakdancing karate at them which is perfectly in line with Zack, but again, there's so much more effort put into Zack's choreography than Rocky's, and I love it, but I just feel like, okay, but Rocky's there too, could we, like, get equal footing for them? And the answer is very much no. So yeah, Zack has fantastic sequence, but Rocky and Min kind of just sit there. It does, however, lead into a great sequence dramatically for Zack or Walter, however you want to look at it, where they all go back to the command center. Uh, Min is, again, still not particularly kind to Billy, and everybody kind of clears off whilst they're trying to figure out the next phase of their plan, and Zack is left to talk to Min, and we get this great... <sighs> they get this great heart-to-heart moment where... Zack and Min are essentially just going at it from different points of view. Min cannot get past the fact that she just wants revenge, and Zack is trying to get her to see that revenge is not the answer. And, you know, Min tried to use her mother's morpha in the juice bar, and it refused. And, you know, Zack doesn't necessarily say that this is the reason why, but he very much implies that you cannot use this because you're seeking revenge and that's not what being a ranger is about. That's not what being a hero is. And he gives her the full speech that you might be familiar with, you know, being a Power Ranger, being a hero that runs headfirst into danger isn't fun. It's not adventure. It's not, you know, laugh and jokes. It's dangerous and 
we could all end up losing our lives at any minute, and more importantly, it's a selfless life. You cannot prioritize your feelings, your emotions, over the well-being of everybody else. If you want to genuinely be a hero, if you actually want to walk the same path as your mother, this is not the way. And it's a great scene, and I really like it, and it leads into them kind of having this emotional moment where they bond even more and you see how much they care about each other and Zack is a great mentor figure and this leads into one of my favorite moments which is that Zack then basically leads Min to Zordon's broken energy tube and explains to her that the way that Min feels about losing her mum, the way that Min now feels about her uncle Zack is how Billy feels about Zordon. It's how they all feel about Zordon. Zordon wasn't just their mentor, he was basically their father figure, and all of that was just, in my opinion, perfect. And he makes a great parallel that I I wish they'd kind of leaned into more, which is that Billy wasn't trying to do anything more than get Zordon back. I love the implication that, again, they don't do anything with, but my brain can fill in the blanks here, that Billy basically became obsessed with bringing Zordon back, and in my opinion, the way in which they just immediately try to do stuff as it happens in the flashback, I feel like Billy was so obsessed with it and so determined to do it because he is super smart, like almost to the point of like comic book supervillains don't got nothing on him. Uh, he just kind of was like, to hell with it, you know, in his Tony Stark element of like, we don't need to worry about tests or safety measures. I'm Billy, I got this. And unfortunately, the result of that was he brought Rita back, lost Alpha 8, and then Trini died. So, you know, being obsessed with doing something for a good cause, a good reason, kind of backfired on him in the most epic way. And Ming gets a very different perspective about how she feels about Billy, how, you know, she's been acting, and that there's a lot of parallels between how she is now and how Billy was then. And it's a great moment, and I really, really like it. And it's, again, kind of not what you'd expect from Power Rangers, and I wish they leaned into these moments a bit more. Not massively more, but a bit more. Again, it's a mix of budgetary issues and the amount of time that they had to try and fit this all into. So, what do they do next? Well, to try and speed through this a bit quicker, basically they trap the robot monsters with an electromagnet. Now, I will stress, because I kind of missed this the first time around, it's not that they lead them to just a regular magnet. Billy has done something to it that's like massively increased its effectiveness. And the plan is not that that's where they're going to be left, essentially. They're going to use that to draw Rita out to have to basically try and come and help them, or investigate why she can't get a hold of them, why she can't teleport them, and while she's out of the palace, they're gonna go up and try to break the other rangers out of the grip that she has them in. During this time, we also flash back to the Moon Palace, and we see that, as I said, other rangers have encountered Snizzard and Minotaur, because they've got more. And it is a shame that we couldn't have seen some of these fights, because I feel like, again, that would have been really cool, but I understand why we didn't. It is also kind of heartbreaking that we see Tanya, 
Zia Ranger 2 Yellow be the last person that gets put in because Tanya is kind of the closest to MMPR given that she's Zio. And, you know, she's definitely friends with most of the people in this special. She knew Billy, she knew Rocky, she was very close with Catherine. And, you know, she knew Adam, who admittedly isn't there. But you know what I'm saying? It's like that that one could have been the one that we saw. I also find it funny that they've somehow managed to capture three of the Lost Galaxy Rangers, which given that they're not Rangers based on Earth, I find very odd. I also have to point out here that Rita makes one of my favorite references, which is that she says, you know, she was never a big fan of the idea of teamwork, but basically draining the Rangers of their powers like this and quote-unquote killing them in the process, she says, together we are more which was the tagline of the 2017 Power Rangers movie, and I love the fact that she is essentially taking the mick out of it, because again, that movie didn't do so well. We then get another great sequence where Min, even though she's kind of, you know, trying to deal with everything that was said to her by Zack, Billy and her have a semi-argument about whether or not they should destroy the monsters, and Billy's like, all-out destruction is rarely the most, you know efficient path or something to that effect and she doesn't necessarily agree with that and thinks that they should be destroyed which is kind of ironic because she is proven right in the long run but she doesn't understand that they need them to be a distraction so that they can go into the palace and unfortunately this leads to problems now that stealth technology from earlier comes back and essentially they can turn invisible to get into the palace which helps Min then takes one of those stealth generators for herself to escape the center and away from Alpha. Alpha is hilarious because he makes a great throwaway line of, I better start warming up the volcano, which if you know anything about where the Zords uh, hide when they're not in use, the pterodactyl Zord literally explodes out of an erupting volcano, and they already made a comment earlier that uh, this is likely going to lead into an incident that will need the Megazord. So that made me chuckle that he's like, oh, I better start warming up the volcano. (laughs) We also get a sequence that I'm still not entirely convinced was references, but I think they were. Because essentially Min goes outside and finds executive parking. In one of the parking spaces, there is a dark green Lotus Elise. I know. And the fact that it's dark green kind of makes you go is that supposed to be tommy's like is tommy an executive at cranston industries i mean it would make sense he is a doctor of paintingology and ran his own tech company with anton mercer at mercer industries and did a bunch of research so as annoying as it is that would actually kind of fit but then the next parking space is a great big motorbike potentially a harley i'm not sure i'm not great with bikes and i didn't you don't get to see any identifying insignias but it looks very very similar to the motorbike that jason rode in on in forever red you know that episode that i said we don't count as canon but it's never officially been stated as not canon because they just referenced it so I don't know if that's implying that Tommy and Jason, you know, that's their vehicles and they are Cranston Industries executives, because again, it would make sense. Why not? I mean, it's where the command center is, and it would make sense that Billy would want them to be executives, along with maybe the others, who knows, and perhaps they were at Cranston Industries when this all kicked off. I don't know, because again, geographically, I don't know how far away things are, because 
it's Power Rangers. We don't exactly get massive details. We just get cool little references like this. Min then decides to head off and she's essentially driving the Radbug, which she's stolen, to where the monsters are trapped on the electromagnet. On the way, she rescues two people, uh, sort of, that are being attacked by putties by just running them over, really. And uh, it was a nice little moment, but again, kind of really sort of not sure why it's in there, other than maybe just to show that she stopped to save someone. I don't know. But, it, you know, it, it's a nice scene. It works. When she gets to the monsters, I love that she tries to, like, do you know who I am to them? And she says something along the lines of, you know, your boss killed my mom or killed someone that cared about me or something to that effect. And Snizzard responds by saying, yeah, I work for an intergalactic war criminal. You're, you're gonna need to be more specific. And whilst that's hardly a new thing, I love the fact that they did that because, yeah, Rita is not somebody that you'd actually want to mess with in reality. The 2017 version of Rita killed a lot of people, and this version of Rita is also not averse to killing people. And almost right on time, Rita shows up and starts basically playing with Min. And that whole sequence between her and Min is fantastic. Again, Barbara Goodson does a great job of this version of Rita Repulsa. She is so menacing. Min tries to fight her, but again, her powers don't work, and she has to essentially take her on in hand-to-hand -hand combat. All of the movements that happen here are directly referencing Trini, and they even make a point of saying that she's fighting with the Praying Mantis style, which is both the legitimate style that Trini would use in her Kung Fu, and referencing an old episode where Trini was learning, you know, Praying Mantis style and trying to improve it. And there was an episode where she literally fought a giant Praying Mantis. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff built into that. But Rita wins and she cackles and she laughs and Min gets captured. Meanwhile, on the moon, the Rangers have managed to infiltrate it, destroy the putties that were guarding it. They're trying to figure out how to free their friends, but they very quickly realize that it's impossible because, you know, whatever is trapping them there, it's directly linked to Snizzard, and until they destroy the monster, they won't actually be able to free them, and even then, they don't actually know how to restore them to normal. However, as they're trying to figure that part out, they then realize that the machine that they're plugged into is actually doing something, and Billy and Zack immediately recognize the space dumpster from the original show. And what I love is that Catherine and Rocky do not recognize it, to the point that Rocky says, what is that, a space barrel? And Billy's like, no, you idiot. It's a space dumpster, <laughs> which just, it just made me chuckle. Because, yeah, they realize that what Rita is actually trying to do is time travel back to the past, and that what they're looking at is the space dumpster that she was trapped in, in the very, very, very first episode, Day of the Dumpster, which, you know, you know again if you've seen the trailer, but it's such a cool moment actually seeing it in context. Rita then shows up. They explain what the plan is. She wants to go back, team up with her younger self, give her all the knowledge of the stuff she doesn't know, and essentially kill the rangers before they can become rangers, and then she'll take over the world, yada yada yada. But... She's currently got Min, and the Rangers are kind of backed into a corner because how, you know, how are they going to do this? 
Billy summons a blade blaster without morphing, which was actually kind of cool, because it's like, oh, they can actually summon their weapons whenever? That makes them a lot more dangerous when they're not morphed. He fires off a shot, the other rangers try and attack, with Zack going straight for Rita, because he's very angry that Min has been captured. Rita bats them away, it's all slow-mo, it's all pretty epic, and then she powers up again, and is like, right then, Cranston, this time I'm actually gonna get you. And as she goes to do the same death power-up attack mode that she did at the very beginning, Min manages to break free of the Minotaur's grasp and does exactly what Trini did and jumps in the way of the blast. However, her mother's morpher is still in her pocket when the blast hits her, and the blast does hit her, and she gets thrown across the room, but she's not immediately full with energy she doesn't explode she just looks like she's not alive anymore but that's not what happened because the yellow power coin is glowing epically inside her pocket to the point you could see it through her clothes the morpher is shimmering through now this might seem like a random little element but way way back in the day when the green ranger showed up and he was evil and he got rid of zordon this has actually happened before when Zordon returned, because Alpha was able to locate him back then, when Zordon came back and basically undid a lot of the damage that Rita had done to their connection to the Morphing Grid, had reversed the fact that she stole and trapped their Zords somehow, again, details are vague, the second Zordon was back, he was like, no, I ain't having that, snapped his non-existent fingers and reversed it all, and basically... That massive amount of power being channeled back to them caused their power coins to glow, and I remember it to this day because it's like this big epic moment where Jason's like, Zordon's back! And what I like is, by doing that here, Zordon isn't back, like that's not where this is going, but the Yellow Ranger is back, and Min's eyes flicker open and she gets basically this massive montage moment where you see footage from the original 93 show of Trini. You see Trini being picked to be the Yellow Ranger, and then you see this really quick flash of essentially all of her greatest moments, and moments with her friends, moments as a ranger, moments with Billy, moments with everyone. And it was such a great little montage that you see through her eyes, because it's only happening for her. But then when she actually wakes up properly... She is suddenly glowing yellow, and when she picks up the Morpher, it's like it accepts her and all the power goes into her, and the rest of them realize what's just happened as well, and they're like, you know what this means, and yep, it's morphing time again, except this time Min is leading the call, and they get another morphing sequence, and now she is morphing as the Sabretooth Tiger Yellow Ranger, and there is five Power Rangers once again. And it's a really cool moment. And then they summon the power weapons for the first time and have a big epic fight that is pretty good, I will add, uh, with the putties and then with Minotaur and Snizzard and Rita. And it's all going really, really cool. It's all going really, really well. It's really well choreographed. I do wish that they had given their weapons a bit of uh, more effects in certain sequences. But again, I think the budget went kind of into what's about to happen next. Basically, Rita can see the writing on the wall and that they're trying to destroy the Snizzard, so she throws him out of the palace, which is a hilarious moment, because he's like, what did I do wrong? 
But he didn't do anything wrong. She then screams her famous line, magic wand, make my monster grow. And Snizzard grows massive and, you know, is towering over the palace. And Rita's like, ha ha, now what you gonna do? And Billy's like, have you not seen an episode of this show? We need dinosaur power. Now. And yeah, that's exactly what happens. Uh, Alpha activates the dinosaurs, Zords. And we get essentially a recreation of the sequence that you've seen at least 60 plus times if you've watched the original show. The Tyrannosaurus dinosaur explodes out of the ground, roaring as he does so. The Mastodon does whatever he does out of the ice. The Triceratops comes out of the desert. The Sabertooth Tiger comes out of the jungle. And the Pterodactyl does indeed explode its way out of the volcano. This is all brand new footage. It is not recycled footage from the original show. They then form up and run together, recreating the iconic sequence that you've seen a million times. Something that the 2017 film was unable to do. They then transport the Zords to the moon and then they form together and eventually become the Megazord. Now, this is where I know people are going to be divided because in all honesty, the new Zords look weird. <laughs> I can't make up my mind if, I, if I'm okay with the CGI Zords or not. Now, when they first show up, and when they were first revealed in the trailer, the excitement levels were off the roof that they were going to actually do a Zord fight with the original Megazord, that I didn't care that they didn't look amazing. Now, the thing is, I actually don't think they look that bad when they're individual Zords. I don't think they sound right. The Tyrannosaurus especially is missing that big, powerful roar that inspires fear when it slowly rises out of the explosion. But, you know, again, time constraints. However, when they form together and they do the first bit of the sequence, looks fine. When Billy and uh, Min transport into the cockpit, which is completely redesigned, I will add, it is not the original cockpit, uh, that's kind of cool because it also kind of makes you go, these aren't the original Zords, these are like a rebuilt version of the Zords, which would make sense because the original Zords were destroyed and what was left of them was turned into the Thunder Zords and the Thunder Zords themselves were also destroyed. So to me... The implication is these are rebuilt dinosaurs, which I'm fine with. However, as they transform and stand up and become the Megazords, I don't know exactly what the mandate was for that model, but it's taken me a couple of like proper analysis of it to realize what I don't like about it. And it's not entirely that the CGI is just not great, because I actually think the model itself isn't bad. But it's, it is the model that I have a problem with, and I've realized this. I don't think many people will be as, like, bothered by it. And when it's in motion, like, in space, and the camera is only looking at it from a certain angle, from, like, the chest upwards, it's fine. But when it's standing still, and it's, like, arms are by its side, it doesn't look right. And it was driving me mad. I'm like, why doesn't it look right? And I realized because I went and compared it to the original suit, which was a physical practical suit worn by a person. I compared it to the various different toys, and I compared it to the original models, as well as the Hasbro Zap Megazord that a lot of us thought it was based on. It definitely isn't. The biggest problem with the CGI Zord is the Mastodon pieces of the Zord are not in the right scale. 
on the original Megazord, the shoulders, the big M pieces that stick out, are way bigger and way thicker than the one on the CGI Zord. The arms are also not quite into scale properly. As a result of that, it feels stumpy and it doesn't feel as big as and imposing as it should. But that also has the side effect of making the pterodactyl chest piece feel less like it's flush against the rest of it and like it kind of sticks out. The head looks fine, and I'm really actually a fan of the glowing eyes. I think that looks fine, but I couldn't figure out exactly what was wrong with it until I saw like a direct comparison photo. And the biggest issue is the CGI model is trying too hard to look like the pieces of the Zords have actually come together to form a Megazord, where of course in reality what would actually happen is there was a model that was turning into the Megazord, that was not quite the toys, because they were bigger, they had more detail, they had more scale, but they were basically based on the toys from the 90s, or they were more similar to the toys, I don't mean based on, you know what I mean. But the CGI model, but what would happen is, when the lightning in inverted commas would hit the Megazord, it would basically be swapped from a model into the guy with who's wearing uh suit. The suit would not have the same proportions and it would not have the same articulation as the model. Now the CGI doesn't do that. The CGI just sticks with the proportions that it has when it transforms originally and unfortunately it makes it look all kind of off. And I've I've even looked at my own like Chigokin Megazord that I have behind me and because I was convinced at first that the arms were just wrong. Um, and depending on, again, which version of the Megazord you're looking at, they are. Because the way it stands is not the way it stood in the original show. Like, the pads on the arms don't go all the way around, but they don't go all the way around on the figures either. So again, it's a case of the costume that was worn and the accuracy of the toys, the accuracy of the models, that don't all actually line up. But the version that the guy in the suit wore is probably the version that you have in your head which is why I think the CGI model version that we have in this doesn't quite look right, especially when you combine it with the fact that the shoulder bits are too small, the arms look stumpy, and the legs are missing black stripes on the thighs, and for some reason you can see the hinges that normally are hidden inside the Triceratops and the Sabertooth Tiger legs. And that's me going full nerd mode at that point but it really really stuck out to me because I wanted to like it and I did when I first watched it um, but when I watched it the second time it really you know was I being too harsh I was thinking to myself and then when it finally happened I was like no I'm not being too harsh it really does stick out that much to me anyway oh yeah I also have to laugh about the fact that um, before that happens I, I sorry I got so so excited to talk about the Zords I skipped a moment which is that after Rita makes Snizzard grow, Billy actually just kind of runs up to her and whilst her back is turned, just puts his power lance through her and she falls over and dies. Which I was like, are you kidding me? That is so disappointing after the epic fights that she's been having with the Rangers. I was expecting something big. Now, thankfully, that isn't how she dies, but I'm still not entirely happy with how she does die. Now, the other thing that made me laugh is Rocky just kind of stands there throughout that entire bit where she makes the monster grow and doesn't try and do anything and just watches Billy run from the other side of the room to do it himself when Rocky could have just done it. I don't quite know why the red 
suit was just stood in the background, just doing nothing. You know, he could have been fighting Minotaur or a putty or something, but he's literally just stood there doing nothing, and it's really noticeable. But again, whatever, it's like a nitpick. But it's it that one. I I was like, no, I can't really forgive that one. Like, if 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 you're not supposed to see him or he's not supposed to do anything, why can I see him so clearly? Just stood behind Rita, staring at her. You know. I also got to give it to Ron Wasserman, who obviously came back to do the music, who I haven't really talked about, but honestly, he does some great renditions of tracks, and it's not the original tracks, but you do hear the classic Go-Go Power Rangers a couple points in this special, and there's a lot of times where you hear music that invokes the feeling of the original show, but it's not actually the music from the original show which is a bit weird considering it is Ron Wasserman doing the composition and the score. We also, to my knowledge, I might be wrong, but I don't think we actually heard that really nice orchestral version of Go-Go Power Rangers that they used for the trailer. I kept waiting for that to show up and maybe they use it. I, oh, actually, yeah, no, no, I lie. I think they do use it when they finally all morph together and take on the putties, but it's it's a lot less sort of pronounced than I was expecting it. I thought it was really going to be overpowering in a good way, you know? Uh, so the Megazord and Snizzard have a fight, which for the most part I like. I actually really like that they they probably had a lot of limitations with this. Like anybody complaining that the CGI looks cheap, I'm sorry, but unless you've worked in the visual effects industry, unless you've actually made uh, a CGI model, you're more than welcome to have your own opinion, but please don't call it cheap because I bet you any money it was not cheap to produce this. Um, as someone that did 3D animation, you know, went to university for it, and I've got, you know, we've had guests on the show like Liam O'Donnell, who used to run a visual effects company. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in these things that people take for granted, and a, a huge CGI sequence on the moon like this probably et up way more of the budget than you think it did and I'll bet they had basically no time to do it. Bearing in mind that this thing was filmed six, eight months ago, I think, roughly. Uh, whereas, you know, realistically speaking, given the money that they probably had to work with, they'd have probably wanted a lot longer than that to do the CGI, and I'll bet money that they weren't handed the sequence or had made up their mind about the sequence until probably two or three months before it was supposed to air. There are some really good shots, in my opinion. The Megazord gets to basically beat Snizzard down. Um, they get some great punches in. It's powerful. You know, the, I love the headbutt that they do. I love the reference that Billy makes to the fact that Min doesn't know how to pilot the Zord. And Billy makes a point of reminding the audience, but also telling Min, yes, you do. It's in the powers. It's in you. You just have to trust yourself and you'll know what to do which is always something that people forget about the rangers when people like oh could they do this do that and it's like well if they're morphed yes because they essentially get new skills imprinted into them and if they need to do something they know how to do it if it's a part of their power set like say pilot the zords the fact that min has no experience is irrelevant she is every bit as good as the rest of them at that point there might be certain things like, say, someone that fine-tunes an engine on a car versus somebody that drives a car. 
Billy probably knows a lot more about the systems than any of the other rangers, but it's not going to affect their piloting skill. Now, this sequence is also fairly short, which is good in my opinion, because it does kind of fall apart towards the end, but essentially, you know, the other rangers join them, they destroy Minotaur, which again, I wish had a bit more CGI on it to emphasize the power of the strikes, especially Rocky diving his power sword into Minotaur, it just kind of explodes from the pressure, I guess, but again, minor, minor complaint. The CGI that follows in the Zord fight, though, when they summon the power sword, uh, yeah, you can, you can definitely tell that they were ready for that scene to be over. The actual powering up of the sword, which is a shot that's in the trailer, unsurprisingly as a result, looks great, but what follows, I I don't like it. I don't know what the issue is exactly, but it jumps over Snizzard in a nice slow motion shot, and then I was fully expecting the lightning from the previous scene to continue, and give us essentially a recreation of how the Zord would destroy monsters in the old series. That's not what happens. Instead, it just kind of stabs the Snizzard very lightly, and Snizzard falls over, dies, explodes, and then the the Megazord moves really, really jaggedly into like a winning pose, and there's really, 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 really saturated uh cgi fire all around it and that's the zord fight done and i really that whole end sequence to me really wasn't wasn't finished um and again the stumpy megazord being in full view there doesn't help so the only thing left to do is for them to shut down rita they've already taken out her time device they do that before the others join them in the megazord and they all teleport back to the palace. Min pins Rita with the power daggers and Zack blasts her away with the power cannon. Just his power cannon, which is the power axe for those that don't know. And that, I felt, again, it, it, this is when it really, really feels like they need to wrap things up because it, it's like they could have formed the actual power blaster and that would have made more sense given that there's now the five of them together. It would have been a nice throwback and it would have made more sense for something as powerful as Robo Rita has been throughout the rest of the episode to actually need the combined might of all five rangers to be properly destroyed. Just one shot from Zack's power cannon kind of feels underwhelming given that she's basically Giving them a beatdown every other point in the episode, it just kind of feels a bit off. And yeah, I was really disappointed at how Rita was taken out, but it is what it is. There is also one other point that I really like, which is that you see a recreation of the original opening sequence from Day of the Dumpster, where the astronauts come and free Rita, and you see it from, you know, our point of view looking back into the past, so it's at a different angle. Uh, that was a, a, a nice, cool moment, and you see the young Greeter, and you see uh, Machiko, you know, coming out of the dumpster, and it's mixed in with somebody that has obviously reshot this sequence, but without the face being present. So they do a good job with that, but obviously it doesn't go anywhere because they shut down the time device and it closes off the portal. And uh, that's kind of that. It then cuts back to them at the command center, and Adam and Aisha have finally arrived on Earth to help, but obviously it's kind of all over, 
And this is kind of feels like a big lore dump. Um, Aisha and Adam are essentially loaded with the rangers that were affected by what Rita did to them. And they're all in their med bay and they're going to take them to Aquatar. Aquatar was a planet that was a big important thing in the third season of Mighty Morphin. Sometimes it's called its own season because it became Mighty Morphin Alien Rangers for a while. And Aquatar was also a big point of story to do in Power Rangers Zeo. Because Billy was written out in Power Rangers Zeo when he walked out. And the way that they decided to do that was he was aging rapidly. And in order to fix that, he needed to go to Aquatar. And they did. And while he was on Aquatar, bearing in mind, sorry, in Zio, he'd actually spent some time on Aquatar previously in some other episodes. He'd had his own ship and would go back and forth between Earth and Aquatar a few times. And this time when he went back, he was teleported back with several of the Aquatar Rangers who had just shown up for a team of episode. He had essentially become very close with one of the other Aquitians called Cestria, and this is where we get a name drop from Adam, who basically says, So, Billy, are you going to come back with us? I mean, Sestria says she really misses you, and Billy basically then confirms, you know, that he misses her too, and that now that he's managed to essentially put right what he did wrong, he's ready to go back into space and continue his adventures, which means that, there you go, guys, that's what Billy's been doing. Not only has he got his own company, not only has he rebuilt the command center, rebuilt his own alpha model, rebuilt the dinosaurs, but he's also actually had incredible adventures in space. He may have even been more involved with SPA, and he still has this great relationship with Aquatar and, I'm guessing, with Cestria. So, again, you get a lot of lore in this sequence, and they also you know have this great moment where Aisha and Adam get to interact with Zack because those characters had never met just like Zack and Rocky had never met in terms of their actors actually being on screen the characters had known each other off screen but we've never actually seen them together on screen so it was really a nice moment to see Walter Jones and Johnny Young Bosch having like a, a great fist bump moment together because it's something that we thought we would never see and it's a shame as I said, that we get to see so little of Johnny and Karen, because Karen herself, like Walter and David, never was brought back to the show after she left, so it is a shame that considering they went through the effort of getting them to go to New Zealand, that they couldn't have given them a bit more to do. I I half get it, but considering how well they managed to write the rest of the show, it could have been interesting to see them be the tech support people, which is what we all kind of thought they were going to be. You know, with the putties attacking everywhere, we could have definitely had, we could have definitely continued the tradition of Johnny Young Bosch having the best fight scenes in the episodes where he comes back, because this is probably the first time, I think, where he doesn't get one, and it sucks, but fingers crossed that the film he did with Isaac Florentine will be good. So this also is where Cat uh, name drops the fact that, you know, being a parent is also as, as nearly as tough as being a ranger. And Rocky's ready to go back and, you know, actually eat his lunch because he never got the chance when he first showed up, which is a joke, but a weird thing to say, but funny nonetheless. And so that's them out. You know, Rocky, Adam, Aisha, and Kat all get teleported back to whatever they were doing. And Billy and Zack go to the juice bar with Min. And this is where we get 
some epilogue moments and some lore, which is basically that, you know, Billy is going to go back into space, but now Min is going to miss him. And they kind of have their heart-to-heart moment, and Billy admits that everything that Min said, you know, he felt. And he says, you know, everything that you said was stuff that I've already told myself. Like, you didn't say anything that I didn't already think about me. And Min is the one that basically tells him that he shouldn't think that way, and that he's family, and that that's why she, you know, jumped in front of the fire just like Trini did before. Um, Billy also name drops Miranoi, which is where the Lost Galaxy Rangers protect. So that was a nice touch because again, it's connecting the wider Ranger universe. We also get the hilarious moment where after they have their great moment of their family, and that's you know that's how they feel about each other. He's then like, okay, well, is that the reason why you stole my car? And it's like, oh yeah, you kind of did. And uh, what happened to it? So that was nice. And I thought that was going to be the end of it, but actually it's not quite. Min then decides to tell the two of them that when she took the power blast and the power coin finally accepted her, she got all these memories from her mom. And that takes them by surprise because they're like, wait, what? And I like the idea that they don't really understand what happened either. It's like, was Trini's spirit? still kind of trying to protect Min, but now it decided to Min is going to be the new Yellow Ranger. Did something else happen? What exactly went on there? We don't know. And Billy even says, like, the morphing grid is a pathway to possibilities that we don't understand or comprehend. And then he thinks about it, and he's like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't give up hope of finding Zordon just yet. And I really like that because... Again, it kind of leaves the door open to maybe Zordon is still out there. I mean, they did reconstitute Rita from the energy that they thought was gone, so why not do the same thing to Zordon? I mean, that's what they were trying to do to begin with, and why give up on it? We also then get some great moments where they basically tell Min all the stories that Trini hadn't told her, and, you know, we get references to old episodes such as Trini being afraid of heights. We get references to... Shellshock, the turtle with the traffic light on its head. I'm pretty sure it was called Shellshock. And again, with every other reference that we had to various episodes previously and a couple of things, it's great. I mean, I'm pretty sure that the voice at the very, very beginning where Trini yells out Billy is literally from the episode where she has to conquer her fear of heights to be able to help him. So again, it was all, it was all really well done in my opinion. Everybody, they they basically say, you know, oh, we've got to tell Min everything, and they're having a smoothie, and Zack's like, oh, I hope that they're still using Ernie's recipe, which again, Ernie passed away, or the actor that played him, so we don't know the status of Ernie himself, so it was just nice to have everyone at the juice bar, and I love Zack's comment of, you know, is this place smaller, or have we just outgrown it sort of thing, like, is that talking to the audience, you know what I mean? But that's not the end. As it fades out of the juice bar, it then cuts to the juice bar 29-ish years ago, and we see a 4x3 footage from Mighty Morphin. Now, I, I, I don't know if this was season 1 or season 2, I don't remember, but it was very near the end of season 1, I'm pretty sure, because if I remember correctly, the scene that plays is when Tommy is leaving. The thing is, Tommy left as the Green Ranger more than once, so I'm not entirely sure when this episode was, 
I do remember it, and I actually really, really like the scene that they've picked. Essentially, we see Kimberly, obviously Amy Jo Johnson, singing her song that she wrote for Tommy as basically singing about the fact that even though he's no longer going to be on the team with them, they're always going to be friends, the team is never going to forget him, and Zach also kind of joins in and harmonizes, and it's a it's a great scene, and it's I'm actually like kind of got emotional when this scene hit, even though once once I saw it, I knew exactly what this was, and you know you see Jason David Frank's Tommy, and sat right next to him is Tweez Trini, and the camera holds on JDF for a minute as Tommy, and it holds on Trini, and that's when it fades out the song keeps playing and then you see the black and white photos of twee and jason and we get our memorial moment and it ends with once a ranger always a ranger and i really liked that considering that you know they couldn't do a lot about the fact that jdf passed away after filming was completed and jdf had declined to appear in this they did the best that they could of a bad situation, and to me it was done with the utmost respect. All of the episode was a tribute to Twee, and, you know, that was just fantastic, and I loved it. And just when you think it's all over, there's one more thing to get through, which is that a lot of people were kind of hoping that we would get essentially a brand new opening sequence in the style of the 90s. That isn't what we get. It opens very modern with you know the cast coming up as things are happening around them and we do get like i said the theme song and the logo but it's built into the fight scene however at the very end of the episode we get a modern go go power rangers opening in the same style of the original 1993 series it is glorious it pretty much uses footage exclusively from the special to do it with a couple of little cheeky segments of showing you the actors from day one to how they are now in this special. The only thing that I do not understand why they did this is Walter, Steve, and David, they use scenes of them from Mighty Morphin, but for some reason for Catherine, they use a scene of her from what I believe is Turbo or Zeo, but I think it's Turbo, because it's not in the command center, it's in the power chamber, which was the the second command center i don't know why because there's plenty of footage of her in the command center like when she first became a ranger they literally used it in the trailer but again i'm not complaining it just it just stuck out to me it ends with you hearing the famous go go power rangers and it, it pretty much emulates the original opening perfectly and i loved it and that is the end now obviously this is a very, very long episode, way longer than I anticipated. There's no way I'm going to get this out the same day that the episode airs, uh, so I'm sorry about that. I would love to say that this is the point when I could tell you what I liked and didn't like about it, but this is two hours long. I hope you know that already. I really liked it, and there's plenty of things that I could say that, you know, little nitpicks I could make, and everything that I wanted was in this, and everything that I didn't want I understand why, with the with the exception of Johnny Youngbosch and Karen Ashley not having much screen time. I think if I had to have one thing that I could pick to improve, that would be what I would want. There is also one thing that I wanted to say, and I was trying to organically work it in, and I realized as I started that I just wasn't going to, so I gave up. But 
when we were talking at the very beginning, like Charlie Heskell was the director, and I think he did a fantastic job. There is actually one other person that I really, really wanted to highlight, and I'm really annoyed that I've left it to the end, but I hope you guys are still with me. Akihiro Noguchi was the second unit stroke assistant director. Now, if that name sounds familiar to you, he is intimately familiar with Power Rangers. He has actually worked on this show from day one. He was a stuntman on the original show, playing both Putty Patrollers, Tengas, and Cogs on Zeo. He was also in a few other things that you might be familiar with. For me, he was the second unit director from Lightspeed Rescue, Time Force, Wild Force, he came back in Mystic Force, he also made Kamen Rider Dragon Knight, which I actually think is a highly underrated show, and it stars uh, Stephen Ford and Matt Mullins, and it also has uh, some great appearances from Mark Dacascos, and it was co-produced by Stephen Wang, which is interesting because Akahiro also worked on Gaiva Dark Hero, on Drive, on Cold Harvest, on Wicked Game with Johnny Young Bosch, on Special Forces with Marshall Teague, who, you know, former guest of the show. He was the action coordinator on Black Belt. He was the fight choreographer on Scott Adkins starring Isaac Florentine directed film Ninja. He was uh, on so many things that I feel like you guys are familiar with. He's also credited as doing stunts on the film Kate that I know, you know, Action Twitter was a bit mixed on. But the point I'm trying to make is this guy deserves all the credit when it comes to the fight stuff. And I think he did a fantastic job being the second unit director. And he is Alpha Stunts. When you say Alpha Stunts, people think of Sakamoto. But Noguchi has been here from day one. And he's been here actually longer than Sakamoto, I'm pretty sure. Because Sakamoto wasn't actually, I think he wasn't involved from day one. He came on pretty early, but I think this guy actually is earlier. And he has an alternate name of Yuji Noguchi, you know, Akihiro Yuji. And I'm pretty confident that this is the guy that auditioned with Austin St. John and essentially did a fight scene with him to prove that he could know his stuff and and hold his own in the fight sequences and they they put together like this big fight in front of all the executives and it's a story that Austin has told many many times and I'm pretty sure this is him so like so many of the people that were involved in this project Akihiro is an OG and you know I'm don't want to say anything more because I can't actually confirm it so I'm going to leave it there because I, I thought I knew something else, but I can't actually find it. And I'm like, I don't want to say it. So yeah, um, he founded uh, Alpha Stunt Teams with Koichi Sakamoto and Tatsuro Koiki. And I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. But he is definitely somebody that people should be familiar with. He is... Actually, it says on his IMDb that he's a frequent collaborator with Isaac Florentine, which wouldn't surprise me because he definitely seemed to do a lot of stuff with him in at least a few years ago. It doesn't seem like he's done as much now, but yeah. Pretty cool guy in my book. He's been a part of some pretty fantastic films, a couple of which are definitely going to be future episodes of this show. So that was my extremely long uh, thoughts on the special. I kind of hope that I said everything I needed to say and that I haven't left you questioning. I, I knew I was going to ramble. I didn't think I was going to ramble quite this much. Um, so yeah. Sorry about that. 
I appreciate you listening to the very, very end of this episode. This obviously meant a lot to me. It's actually quite funny, um, completely separate to the show. I find it absolutely hilarious that this week in particular, we essentially have Power Rangers, Star Wars, and Star Trek all happening within a couple of days of each other. You know, you've got the finale for Mandalorian right after Power Rangers came out, and then you've got the finale to Picard, which is currently a Next Generation encore. The the meme of what year is it is definitely something that has been in my mind for the past week or so. And with that said, guys, that's probably going to be the last time we talk about Power Rangers for a while. I originally had a couple of cool things in the works leading up to this. Um, there's a possibility that they're... One of them, I think, will happen, but it's just going to have to be a random bonus episode in the future, and it's possible that we might get some other stuff that I was trying to make happen, but never actually got confirmation on. The other stuff was actually confirmed, but unfortunately some things happened that meant we just couldn't do it. So, again, I don't want to say what they are in case they happen, and more importantly, if they don't happen, I don't want people to be disappointed or the people involved to be annoyed that I've said things, because it involved other people, and people that I think you would have been excited to hear from. But maybe it will happen in the future. Either way, guys, that's going to be it for today. Thank you very much once again. I am available on social media if you want to follow up, or if I trailed off and didn't realize and never actually finished the point, feel free to poke me for it, because I will happily talk about it. That's going to be it for now, though, folks. I will see you in the next episode, which, as I've already said, will be on Cobra. So I shall see you in the next one. On the Action Addicts Podcast!